Is that better? All of a sudden, there's uh, the reemergence of hate, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. It's all coming back in a way more powerfully than we've seen. So I need to reflect with you a little bit on how we can overcome our fears, how we can face our fears without closing our heart. Because all of us have learned to shut ourselves down when we're frightened, to close inward and armor ourselves to resist the temptation to fight back or to be angry. I had something that I had not happened to me before last Sunday on our weekly telephone call to my son and daughter-in-law in Cambridge, uh, Cambridge, England. My daughter-in-law is Palestinian Muslim. And she said to me, Grandpa, she said, I feel angry. What should I do with it? She said, my tradition taught me to give it to God and expect that God will take care of it. It's a good place to start. But I think this song we opened with today is a great teacher for us. Because what it says is open your ears to listen. And St. Benedict said, listen with the ears of your heart. Open your heart to hear good news. Now we have to realize that that song and the gospel passage about Jesus going to the temple on the great and final day of the Feast of Booths, Sukkot, which is Simchat Torah. You understand, the day that Jesus came to the feast, the end, the high holy day of Sukkot, is the same day that Israel became, was attacked. How do we deal with that? How do we make sense out of that? And what I think we must do is to understand the relationship between grieving and joy. Grieving and celebration. There is a passage way from lament, from crying out in anguish, and from feeling celebration. Whenever we celebrate, 
we always remember. Like at the Passover, there are places where the head of the Passover puts their finger in the cup and puts it on the tablecloth, dots it on the tablecloth to remind the worshipers of the people who suffered, who died. Even though it's a great celebration, we can never celebrate without grief being with us. And we can never have grief without celebration being with us. And so when the people of the book take the Torah scroll, which is beautiful and bejeweled and draped with a great cloth, and when the rabbi carries it in procession and they form a circle and they dance, that dance of joy is actually also recognizing that all the stories in that book, that book is filled with sorrow. That scroll is filled with sorrow and pain. And yet, somehow, the presence of that word offers a vision of something joyful and wonderful and reconciling. So, the Buddhists call it the emptiness of compassion. That in celebration there is a kind of ecstatic moment. And you may even notice it in liturgy occasionally. It may surprise you. We don't dance here as much as we should. We do on a, in midweek parties, but we should dance the liturgy because then we get to step into this ecstatic relationship that we have with the peace that's coming, the shalom that is being announced in the good news. So that letting go, that moment of ecstasy is precisely, I think, what Paul is talking about in a kind of Paul often, you kind of have a sense that he's losing touch. <laughs> you read it and you go, what? And the translators don't seem to get it and they want to keep bringing it down to some kind of theological, but it doesn't work. So Paul's talking about letting go of the body. He's talking about the way in which death is somehow also real circumcision, real baptism, the circumcision that is not made with human hands. And what we do in those moments when we find a transcendence is that we are able to let go of our fears and of the body that holds us back and become present in a new way to God and to those around us.
Jesus was at the temple on the final day of Sukkot, on Simchat Torah, the day in which they celebrate the giving of the book, the giving of the law. And yet the law is what they remember with pain and suffering, and then they enter into joy. Jesus is there, and he says, whoever comes to me and believes in me, out of his belly, an interesting translation, the Greek word is hard to translate. It really means your guts. It doesn't, but, but you see, you have to understand that in that time, the guts was the location of your emotions. Your emotions, we think of them as being in your heart. But for them, your emotions came from your belly. And the heart was the place of decision and choice. What we would think of as your frontotemporal lobe, they have located in the heart. So out of your gut, out of your belly, will flow streams of living water. That's the very same water of baptism. That's the very same water of the creation. And what it tells us is that when we are able to be with Jesus when he comes to the temple as the high priest and the king, as the messianic one who is promised to come into the temple on the last day, when we are able to be with him there, then out of us and into others can flow streams of living water. Now the temple was a place that was kind of hard to understand in quick terms. It was a place where it had been destroyed at the Babylonian captivity and all of the elite people, all the Jews, the priests and the Levites and the rulers had all been carried off to Babylon into exile. And the only people left were people that were from the northern kingdom of Israel, not from Judah. And they were called from that day forward, and they had been called before sometimes, Samaritans. Their capital was Samaria. And those Samaritans stayed there during the 70 years of the captivity. And when they were allowed to come back from the captivity, and they started to rebuild the temple. The Samaritans said, oh, oh, can we help? And they said, no, you're not, you're not among us. And the problem with religion is that it always creates us and them. We cannot have us and them anymore, is what Jesus is actually telling us. There are no more us and them. There's no more other. And when we become angry and frightened, we tend to create another. 
we tend to create somebody to blame. We point a finger. And Jesus wants to make clear to us that there's no us and them any longer. And that means, in a way, that what Jesus has done is to do an end to religion. A religion is over. Whatever we are living in, it's not a Christian age. Christianity was a, a religion. But Jesus did something to do away with religion itself. Because the primary religious law, obligation, is vengeance. And Jesus, no more vengeance. Done, finished. And when we're frightened, angry, we have this tendency to either want to take vengeance ourselves or to want our God to take vengeance. But God has made clear to us he's not about, he's not in the vengeance business any longer. We need not to be in that business either. He's come among us so we can deal with things ourselves rather than exclude people, eradicate people. And that's what Jesus is giving us is the opportunity through that living water, that spirit that flows into us but also flows out of us to other people whom we love, whom we reach out to, whom we accept, whom we forgive. That love is what the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the end times is actually about. That love, that forgiveness, that reconciliation. And it's our call and our ability and our vocation to be about bringing that in our lives, wherever we are, in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces. That's who we are. We not only give love, we actually, through our baptism, this circumcision of the heart, we have become love, just like God is love. We have become love. So be whom you have become. Amen.